Welcome into AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent podcast and video dedicated to the American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs, and if you are listening to this uh, on an audio-only platform and not on YouTube, it's sounding just a little bit different because normally we will uh, simulcast the audio and the video, but we had a really fascinating conversation with uh, former cameraman and producer Polish Joe Chupik. Now, if you're not familiar with the name, uh, he was around for the last several years of the AWA, but he had a lot of really great stories. And we started an interview with him, and it just, it, it continued to just give us great content. So what I've decided is to break it up into two parts. And here is part number one of the interview with Joe Chupik. But before we get into that, I do want to thank our friends at Soda Stick. Now, Soda Stick is the place to go for your Minnesota sports-themed novelty t-shirts, hats, whatever you need. If you're a fan of the Vikings or the Twins or the Timberwolves or the Wild or the Gophers, or you just like goofy, fun, you know, hip novelty t-shirts revolving around Minnesota sports, this is the only place to go. It's sodastickco.com. And as a matter of fact, if you use the promo code UNLEASHED, you get 15% off. And not only that, maybe, just maybe, mm, we might have some AWA Unleashed merch coming down the pipe a little bit later on in the future. So uh, by all means, uh, check out the fabulous store at uh, sodastickco.com. Without any further ado, enough of me, a tit to me, Mick, George, and Polish Joe, Joe Chubik. I am Chris Tubbs. I am one of three individuals that do this on a weekly basis, but every once in a while, we have a, a little extra, a little something fun, and I'm excited because I'm a, my full-time job, I'm a producer, uh, I'm, on, I'm on air, I, I, we're basically going to talk to somebody who knows a lot about the production side of the AWA, and I am super excited because it kind of goes into that geeky side of me. But that being said, before we get into that geeky side, let's bring in the uh, other two geeks as we've got as well with uh, Mick Karch and George Shire. And guys, I may have given away our guest when I uh, added him to the stream, but I took him out. Uh, hopefully people didn't see, but um, I'm excited to talk to him. But before we get to that, again, feedback continues to be just off the charts with uh, some of the some of the feedback that we're getting. We continue to grow, and I love it. Uh, go ahead and start out, Georgie. Well, the feedback has been tremendous. We continue to hear it. We love it. It's We're glad you're doing it. I look forward to Tuesdays. I listen to it on the way to work. I listen to it on the way home. And why don't you guys do this or talk about that? They're giving us lots of ideas. Mm -hmm. I only had one guy take exception to the fact that I said Billy Robinson wasn't champion because he made a better challenger. And, you know, I love opinions. You know, everybody has them and we know what else they also have. So it, it has been great. <laughs> We're loving doing this. We absolutely are. Yeah. What about you, Mick? What I love is when I hear from somebody who says, hey, you know what? I grew up in those old AWA days. And I remember, and then they throw out a name that I never heard of. 
You know, it'll, it'll be like, I, I remember uh, Giuseppe Fenting Moth. And I think, what the hell? But Giuseppe <laughs> because, because maybe he had a junior heavyweight championship or something, somewhere along the line. But uh, the interaction with everybody via email and message is just great. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I had one of my friends the other day when you talk about not knowing a wrestler. He told me after he listened to the show that his dad knew Butch Levy and that Butch Levy was a plumber. And I told him, I said, well, it's not the same Butch Levy because (laughs) Levy wrestled and then he went into the insurance and financial business for the remainder of his life. But he goes, oh, I guess I had it mixed up with somebody else. Well, I hope it wasn't the milkman. (laughs) Oh, my God. So keep it coming. If you guys have any questions at all, hit us up on uh, on any of the social medias. You can see right there. You can catch us on your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google, Amazon, and and YouTube. And we've got a trivia question, Mick, and then I've got a special edition that I'm really excited to, uh, to bring aboard here. But uh, what say you about our trivia this week, Mick? Congratulations to St. Cloud's own Cody Merrill, who answered the trivia question correctly, wanted to know what two cities was Black Jack Lanza, who of course was a Minneapolis native, what two cities over the course of his AWA career was he built out of? One was Laredo, Texas, and the other was Albuquerque, New Mexico. So congrats to Cody Merrill. And we're going to have another trivia question coming up later on in the hour. So be looking for that. Now, for those of you on YouTube, you are going to see in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, you're going to see a logo for Soda Stick. I am beyond excited that Soda Stick is a sponsor here of AWA Unleashed. They are going to help bring this to you week in and week out. And I put the static logo right on there in the uh, upper right-hand corner. I also put it on the bottom. If you're looking for Minnesota sports-themed uh, merchandise, whether it's T-shirts, whether it's hats, and uh, Mick, I know that you've got the old Met Center uh, one as well that was very popular with the wrestling here. Uh, you know, back in the day, also the North Stars. There it is. That is their hat. As a matter of fact, you go to uh, Soda Stick. Go to Soda Stick co.com right there use the promo code unleashed for 15% off so again use 15% off promo code unleashed soda stick co co.com and uh who knows maybe we might even have some awa unleashed merchandise if that's something that people would be interested you think people would want some awa unleashed swag in a heartbeat yeah i think so okay well well, see, there there we go. That's uh, just something that we're going to be able to uh, possibly introduce down the road. Now, without any further ado, we like to get – you don't like to do the same old things here, right, guys? I mean, you, so many different aspects of the AWA we want to cover. And one of them is the production side of it because everybody talks about the talent and the promoters and the wrestlers and the announcers, and that's great. But – a lot of wrestling on TV, it wouldn't be possible without the production people involved. And let's go ahead and bring in a, 
a friend of uh, both your guys's. It's uh, Polish Joe Chupik and uh, Joe. Welcome to the program. I am ecstatic to have you on. So I I appreciate you coming on here, and making some time. Thanks, <clears throat> thanks for having me, um, friends. Oh, I, I know the guys, but I, I mean, you know. No, I got two arches on the show. Well, you can you can call me a friend. You can call them whatever the hell you want, but you can call Chris, me a friend. Chris, yeah, I, Chris, I will consider you a friend. Karch and Shire, yeah, no. All no, kidding if he aside. Wasn't, if he wasn't mean to us, we wouldn't think he still loved us. So welcome, Ex- Joel. Glad to have you. Exactly. George, you know me. You only the guy in the upper right corner? McCrotch! crotch. Oh, your crotch! I can smell the garlic still. Oh, and wait, you know, what? The garlic, Adnan. Oh, Adnan would love to eat raw cloves of garlic. Have garlic on his food, and when we did interview days, you knew when Adnan came into the uh, into the studio. He, 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 he very his, pungent. His breath came into the studio ten minutes before he did. Uh, easily, yeah. 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 Oh, oh my God. Oh, wow. That was not where I was expecting to start. Um, <laughs> well, it only goes downhill from here, Chris. So, yeah. I brought me on to go downhill. Good no. show, guys. Great job. <laughs> All right. See you next week. Uh, so, what, what was your background before getting into to wrestling, Joe? I just want to jump right in. I mean, there's no way to make a transition out of the <laughs> breath. My background? I was a 20-year-old kid when I started with the AWA. Uh, I knew I wanted to get into broadcasting. I wanted to be a uh, play-by-play commentator for either baseball or football. And it was by pure happenstance that I met Kathy Gagne. And the day that I graduated, a classmate uh, at Brown Institute where I uh, went, uh, Whipper Will Bryan, uh, as Larry Nelson uh, nicknamed him. Um, Kathy had called Will to uh, ask that he thought would uh, also be interested, and Will immediately brought up my name, and Kathy was like, my God, I can't believe I didn't uh, think of Joe, because when I found out uh, who she was, mm-hmm. uh, being a lifelong wrestling fan, uh, I started asking questions. I think the first question I asked her is, are you related to Vern? And the second question was, what was Crusher's real name? Because Crusher was my, uh, he was my, I, I hate to use the term idol, but he was my favorite wrestler growing up, being Polish, Crusher having the whole Polish stick, uh, knew very little Polish for the record. Um, he was my favorite. In fact, the very first main event that I ever saw was Crusher and Mad Dog in a steel cage match at the old St. Paul Auditorium. Uh, so I came in. I Will and I both ran camera. The very first uh, taste of production in professional wrestling was the morning after gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, and Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal, with the help of their manageress, Precious, and, of course, the help of the mm-hmm. fabulous Freebirds, 
defeated the Road Warriors for the AWA Tag Team Championships, and we cut a series of uh, interviews with them the next the next day. Uh, after we did uh, probably three or four interviews for different markets, Mike Shields, who uh, was brought in to produce the AWA, Mike was from uh, uh, Memphis uh, Wrestling, Mid-South uh, area, and Jarrett, uh, he called us into the office and asked if we'd be interested in doing an internship. And I don't think I could have said yes faster. <laughs> and did the whole month run and here I am 37 years later talking about my time with the AWA. So I really didn't have a background. I, again, 20 year old kid fresh out of broadcast school, but I knew that I wanted to get into video production and I did. Uh, Georgie, why don't you go ahead and, uh, and kick it off here. I've got some more questions that I want to follow up with him here, but, um, why don't you go ahead and, uh, and jump on in here? Well, I guess what I want to start with then, uh, Cho, is you mentioned Mike Shields. And, of course, we're sad that he just recently left us. But you also had a chance to work with uh, Al Darusha, who is a mutual friend of all of ours and one of the greatest guys. Tell us a little bit about learning or working with those guys and what you were able to soak up from them or or you know, to help hone your, your skills and talent. So Mike Sh Alderusha was the first producer of the AWA, first producer yep. and director. He, uh, like many, did the exodus from the AWA and went to the WWF at the time. So um, I really learned more uh, the, the, the basic training from Mike Shields and it wasn't traditional video production. It was wrestling video production. And what that was is you got to cut for money because you're doing a weekly show um, with a skeleton crew and you needed to churn out content. Um, I, I mean, we were doing an hour of uh, all-star wrestling syndicated internationally we had espn championship wrestling which was either a 60 a 90 or a two-hour show and then we added awa superstars which is where i got my polish joe moniker from larry nelson through that so we're doing up to four hours of programming every week for the AWA. So it was a cut for money. Uh, what I learned from uh, Al was more about the business than production. Uh, Al with his background, very simplified uh, video production. Uh, you know, two cameras was a luxury when Al was directing. Uh, even the AWA, it was a two-camera shoot in the studio. Uh, at best, it seemed that many times it only felt like one, but had to be two because we had the interview area as you were looking at it. There's the ring and the interview area was off to the right. Uh, so it was simplified version. So I, I and I, I, Al is one of my closest, dearest friends. 
you know, to talk to them uh, probably every month or six weeks or so just to check in, especially now with Al getting older. Um, but from Mike Shields, I learned how to cut for money and how to do everything video production wise uh, simply. Uh, that's where I learned, uh, although the, the, the blaster coming through the wall could have been gimmicked a little bit better. Um, but, you know, you learn you just got to make stuff cheap so they can easily destroy stuff. And we could move stuff to, to set up the set ideally. I've um, always been surprised with that blaster situation. A lot of fans remember it. And, of course, I do, too. And yet, when you think back in time, it went nowhere. <laughs> that was the moment right there. But from there on, it was over. I, I, the Blaster did a match in Vegas at the showboat where we did our tapings. Uh, and it wasn't quite a memorable night of wrestling for him, if I can. I'm trying to you know, be kind because I know how difficult it is to get over in the ring. Um, he just wasn't able to to do it. Joe, I want to throw in a, uh, a quick comment about Al Darusha, first of all, and then I got a question about another couple of gentlemen. Al Darusha, to this day, I blame Al because he is the man that planted the word gimmick in my vocabulary Back in 1987, you and I and Al were having lunch prior to a taping, and Al asked the waitress to bring him the Parmesan cheese gimmick. From that point on, everything in life became a gimmick. So, Al Darusha, I blame you. Now, on to another... Well, real, real quick, yeah. I still catch myself doing it to my wife and when i do it i can hear her eyes roll when i call something a gimmick well as yeah. long as you don't call your wife a gimmick you're okay no. <laughs> good point okay you know joe i i want to ask you about a couple of guys that uh, were there before i was there we worked with them together and one is rod trongard one is larry nelson and two divergent personalities completely in the way they approached life, but I just loved working with those two. Rod Trongard uh, was a phenomenal talent to call professional wrestling. My only critique of Rod is that um, he found it difficult to transform from radio broadcasting to television where radio you need to constantly talk because there is no visual you can't have dead air and rod oftentimes uh in the situation with lord james blair's uh um, you know rod as good as rod was he needed to not talk as much when he did he was phenomenal and it, it's not i'm not saying it was a horrible bad thing but if there was the one critique i would give to rod it was that otherwise rod was was a con consummate pro 
had his own catchphrases. Uh, I see Uncle Larry there, and I will get to him uh, very short. I just, I, it, that doesn't look like him. I, I need the, the AWA beard that he had at the time. Yeah. But, um, uh, Rod, Rod was great, um, and you could always count on him coming in to the showboat and being well tanned because he loved to ski, and yes, you can get tanned from skiing. As far as Larry Nelson goes, oh my God, what can I, I, I uh, how many hours do we have on this podcast? absolutely amazed me when we had to do a countdown. I, quite frankly, he amazed me across the entire board. I would, we would give him the bullet points of what he needed to, to discuss, whether it was in an interview or uh, a talking head intro or outro or close open a sh uh, or, or close of a show, Larry would not only hit everything perfectly, but I'd start giving him a countdown. I'd be at 10 seconds and I'm like, how in the hell is he going to be able to fit everything that he still needs to fit in? And he did every single time and if he if he finished early there was not a time that larry didn't take it right up to the three two and that's the and we'll see you next time on all star wrestling him every single time he would hit that mark and, and, and that is that is so hard to do when you've got to hit your mark to the second Exactly, but Larry could do it. He had the radio background, but he also knew how to change that for television. Larry's only downside on being on TV was as an interviewer. Larry was too tall. He, yeah. he, he Larry was a good, uh, I'm 6'3". Larry was about my height. I think I, I was a little bit taller than him, but oftentimes mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> doing interviews, Larry would stand with his legs spread apart so that he could shrink down a little bit. You know, when you got the rockers out there who are maybe six foot, you don't want the interviewer to be taller than your talent. Even yeah. though they're standing in front of them, Larry would still be taller than them. But Larry, Larry, consummate pro, both of them consummate pros. So many stories, so much fun um, with Larry. And again, he gave me my Polish Joe moniker. And we had all kinds of fun. That was on uh, the superstars of the AWA. I have a I have a Larry Nelson incident. I saw him walking one time at the Cauliflower Alley Club, and he was wearing thongs. Um, on now, his now, feet, on his feet, or on his now, now, Well, that's where I'm going with this. <laughs> I told him, I told him that uh, you know they're not called thongs anymore because that's what he called them to me. And I said, they're not called thongs, they're flip-flops. And the problem was, is that he was still calling them thongs. And so it just tells you where we've come in our society that time. Yeah. Well, last, last time I heard from Larry, out of the absolute blue, hadn't, last time I talked to him was the week before he sadly and mysteriously disappeared from the AWA. And so it would have been probably a dozen or so years. 
And how he found my phone number at the time, I'll never know. But I got a call. It was later at night, about 9, 10 o'clock at night. And I could tell Larry had a couple of cocktails in him. He, he enjoyed his his, uh, his cocktail. Well, he was a party guy. Oh, yeah. In, in he was a ways. party guy. In many ways. Yeah. But he calls me up and he goes, Polish Joe, it's Larry Nelson, Larry Shipley. Shipley. And I'm like, how the hell are you doing, Larry? What are you up to? Oh, I'm doing great. I just want to let you know I wrote a book and you're in the book. I hope everything is great. Uh, you know, loved working with you. I uh, hope you enjoy the book. I'm going to send you a copy. And he hung up. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. I think he might have finished his drink and needed a refresher. Well, lo and behold, a few days later, I got the book, and and he was he, he had very kind words uh, about me, and it, it was fun. It was fun reliving a time in my life that I will not soon forget. All right, I, I gotta go. Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. Yeah, Joe, talk a little bit about the two guys that were doing the booking when you and I were there, Wahoo McDaniel and Ray Stevens. You had two absolute legends in professional wrestling. And my question to you would be, when you have two guys with that kind of talent and that kind of history behind them, how do you think that translated into their booking philosophies? And do you think that they also might have been a little bit behind what was going behind the times in terms of the direction of wrestling was going. I think the challenge that they had was the unfortunate turnover at the AWA. Uh, as we all know, to build up an angle properly, um, you need time. And the AWA, while uh, still maintaining somewhat of a cohesive uh, talent pool still had um, a lot, lot of the talent would still leave. And so you would get something booked and you're a couple of months into it and then the talent leaves. And that happened all too often. And that became the big challenge as far as them being behind their time, behind the time for booking for wrestling at the time. I don't think so because the AWA was still in the 70s mode and early 80s mode. Um, I'll, I'll call it, uh, you know, before Vince. Uh, they did what they could with what they had. At the time, and that includes uh, Vern, Nick, and uh, uh, Greg, you know, who are also involved in the booking. You lay out, you lay out an angle, and try to make it run for three, four months. Well, you couldn't always count on it, and that became the, a big challenge for Ray and Wall. Maybe that's what drove him to drink. Yeah. Well, that was something that didn't happen back in the 70s where you had to worry about a wrestler or wrestlers bolting or not being involved. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you did book and send out tapes four or five weeks ahead, you know, it's tough when the program is changing before the program is even played out. Yep. Yep. 
and it, it became when we were sending out our shows, Minneapolis, uh, the Minneapolis market was always uh, a week ahead. Mm-hmm. We'd finish up a show. Uh, I mean, there were literally oftentimes I would drop off the Sunday morning show for KMSP that aired at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. Uh, actually, the times it, it was both over the, the later years, but uh, there were times where it was Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and I would drop off Sunday morning show, uh, especially if there was a show the night before and Vern wanted to get an interview in or a replay in. Um, but it, all of the other markets, we would do the dubs for, get them shipped out on a Thursday, and then they would run the weekend uh, after. So uh, we were fortunate here in Minneapolis, and we and oftentimes Minneapolis was the only market that would see an angle that mm-hmm. happened at the Civic Center. So l- let me ask you this, Joe: when you were when you were on the floor, and you know, and and you were kind of you know working. Did you know where you had to be ahead of time when you had to shoot something? <laughs> Funny, because I just had this conversation with an, uh, another person yesterday. Vern kayfabed me until 2001, during the time when the AWA was revived through a series of pay-per-views. Um, there was an angle that we did in Vegas with Snuka and De Beers. And if it wasn't for Mike Shields, we would not have known where we needed to be to get um, De Beers coming out and pushing Jimmy off of the uh, top rope and landing on the concrete floor. Vern would not tell, he would tell Mike, but he wouldn't tell uh, the cameraman at the time. And Big mistake on Vern's part. He, yeah. you know, if we missed something, he'd get pissed. It's like, well, how the hell do we know? That's you, got, you guys have to know. You guys wide. have to know ahead of time. Yeah, you guys have to know ahead of time where you have to be, so you know what the shot is. And it, it, it's part. You know, there was a part of Vern's old school approach, where if you watch the old All Star Wrestling shows, it was a one camera and it was wide. Mm-hmm the majority of the footage was just a wide shot. Very rarely did you see a close-up. It would be for introductions, but it was never for the action because mm-hmm. Vern wanted to make sure that everything, going off of the ropes, everything was captured on that one main camera angle. And and Vern would always complain when uh, uh, we're in, you know, we, we'd come back from Vegas and, and he'd watch a show. He'd come in and complain and call it tight-itis. You guys have got too much tight-itis. I want to be able to see if somebody's in a headlock on the mat, we zoom in and show the reaction on their face. Vern hated that. He wanted to see the headlock and he wanted to see the entire body that was being administered pain as well as the mm-hmm. body that was administering the pain. And it was tough. It was tough. That's not where wrestling was at in the in the 1980s with multiple cameras and doing close-ups. Yeah. Was there an angle that you like, was like your most memorable or ones that you really enjoyed shooting that you can remember off the top of your head? Well, I already brought up the De Beers um, Snooka one, um, mainly because that was, um, it, I mean, Jimmy Snooka came into the AWA. Uh, a, a 
a, a true legend in the sport. And during a time where I still felt there was hope that the AWA was going to be able to uh, compete with the WWF. Um, the, the other part that makes that more memorable, well, actually, to, to go on the whole kayfabe thing, after that incident, we're in a hotel room uh, afterwards having a couple of uh, adult beverages, and Jimmy pulls me aside and talks to me about how Vern needs to smarten up the camera guys mm -hmm. and how he is, he is shooting himself in the foot by, by kayfabing too many people in the business at the time. Uh, so that's why that one was memorable to me, not only because Snuka came in, but Jimmy sat me down in that hotel room and we had a good 10, 15 minute conversation uh, about how to smarten up the crew and how to shoot angles. And that was in between drinks and, and Jimmy lighting up a joint, I'm sure. That's, Jimmy enjoyed that. But the other part as it extends out is that the whole approach of that angle then transformed into Derek Dukes. And the whole racial angle, which I didn't care for at the time, the whole if I win, if, if, if Dukes wins, he pays the beers black. If the beers wins, he paints Dukes white. Uh, I didn't care for that. But that all started, the whole Dukes to beers angle started with Snuka. Mm -hmm. Um, the other angle, uh, I mean, I could easily say Kurt and Nick just because they were two of the best that I've ever seen work a match. But if the other one that I would bring up has to be the Rose Summers rockers, mm -hmm. um, angle that one, I still I literally have goosebumps just thinking of the match at the showboat that put that angle on the map. Yeah, and uh, there it is, right? I just put it up there for you, Joe, to, to kind of jog the memory there. That that match, uh, the the excitement and the fervor in that audience that night, I've never experienced uh, a crowd pop mm -hmm. like that for a match. And that doesn't even touch on the incredible match that those guys did. Whenever I've talked to a locker room of new talent, I'll always tell them you've got one job tonight and that's to make me believe. And if you're able to make me believe, then I know that the, the fans in the audience and the person watching at home, that they're going to believe. And that Rose Summers rockers bloodbath that wasn't the start of the angle, but mm -hmm. that elevated it to main event status, that match, they made me believe. All right, and go ahead and jump in here, Mick. Got another question for you, bud, and uh, this will this will get the the skin rankled and your blood boiling. Uh, take us back to Whitewater, Wisconsin. In 1987, you and I have talked about this. This was the night that Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee lost the AWA Tag Team Championship to Paul E. and the original Midnight Express. And you have been quoted as saying this was the single worst television taping you were ever a part of. Please explain. The single worst video pro 
production I've ever been a part of from from shooting a home movie to to doing something for ESPN. <laughs> that, wow. Okay. That show started horribly because we again it was on the on the downslide of the AWA and uh, instead of going to showboat and having the expense of flying all of the talent in, Vern decided to uh, go to some small towns, Whitewater being one of them. The production crew uh, that we hired, they, the crew was okay, but the equipment and everything um, was cable access 101. And it showed uh, in, in the production. The camera control units were not working. Uh, communications were failing between the director and, and uh, uh, those that had headsets on. Um, the lighting was atrocious. Um, there was literally nothing good. Actually, there was only one good thing that happened that night. That was the end of it. <laughs> it was, it was horrible. I, I remember coming back to the studio and I, I edited the weekly shows together, and I called Mike in and I said, "What the hell do we do with this?" He goes, "Well, we really don't have a choice. We got to air this." And I'm like, "Can I take my name off of the credits at the end of the show?" Uh, it, it, it was. It was just horrible. Nothing good about that, including the drive there, I think. Did, did you know it was going to be bad? Like the minute that you got there and all the equipment, everything, you knew yeah. like it was going to be an uphill battle? No. You know, they, they got everything set up, uh, and it certainly wasn't the, the equipment setup wasn't as accustomed to what, we, uh, to what I was used to in Vegas. We had a, a, a full production trailer. Uh, all professional equipment, everything, never had any major issues in Vegas. Um, what we did in Whitewater uh, in the business, it was done as like a fly pack uh, uh, approach. Um, and the fly pack became a bunch of gnats rather than a fly. Joe, come on. You have to, you have to admit that Vern splurged for at least 25 watt light bulbs for the lighting. He gave up. He two rats, sad to say, collapsed on the treadmill as they were powering up the entire production. Give the man some credit. That was the lighting that we had for Whitewater, Wisconsin. At least that's what it felt like. The lights were, you know, we didn't have a lighting grid above. They were on, on stanchions. I mean, it was, it put the AWA back. 40 years, and that's when the AWA didn't exist. The I'm productions sorry. that were done in the 60s looked better than Whitewater, Wisconsin. Sorry I brought it up. Let's move on. There it is, a great conversation with Polish Joe Chupik, who was a cameraman and a producer in the AWA. And even though the name might not be familiar to uh, a lot of uh, kind of casual wrestling fans, those that saw the names on the credit, 
you instantly recognize it, right? Very influential. And as you can hear, a lot of really great stories. And this is just part one. We've got part two coming up next week right here on AWA Unleashed. Want to tell you once again about our friends over at Soda Stick. Soda Stick, it's the place to go for you. Minnesota sports themed novelty t-shirts, hats, whatever you like. As a matter of fact, you see me wearing them in the podcast. You see Mick. uh, He's got the old Met Center hat dedicated to the North Stars. Just a lot of really great stuff. Check out their website. If you're a fan of the Twins or the Vikings or the Timberwolves or the Wild or the Gophers, pretty much anything you would want, head over to sodastickco.com. Use the promo code UNLEASHED for 15% off. That's just for you guys. That's just for listeners of the podcast. That's for viewers of the podcast. Again, just maybe we might have some AWA Unleashed merch coming down the pipe. If you'd be into that, let me know. Hit me up in the the, uh, comments on uh, YouTube or hit me up in the comments here or on Twitter at CMTubs at AWA Unleashed or uh, hit us up in the Facebook pages. Uh, American Wrestling Association, AWA Wrestling, Slick Mick, Old School Wrestling, George Shires Wrestling Time Machine. You guys know the drill. I'm not going to hit you over the head with it. You guys know what you're doing. Till next week, Chris Tubbs saying good luck. So long, everybody. (laughs) 